and welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. My name is Greg Hunter, recording from New Comic City, USA, Minneapolis, Minnesota. On this podcast, we ask the same ten questions to a different guest with each installment. Questions designed for a combination of modularity and comprehensiveness. The list lives. It evolves. And we introduce a new question this time around, so keep your ears open, guys. Anya Davidson is our guest. She's the cartoonist behind School Spirits and the upcoming Band for Life, a contributor to this spring's Kramer's Nine and Alternative Comics Are Dead anthologies, and a big part of last year's Best American Comics collection. Also, periodically, a contributor to the Comics Journal, but you probably know that already. Anya is an immensely talented artist and storyteller, and one of those cartoonists who... You look at the body of work now, and then you think about just what might come. All the cool things we might see from Anya Davidson in the next five years, and that in itself is exciting. There's no ceiling. Also, this episode might have the show's best audio fidelity to date. Not for nothing. It's the little things. If you're listening to this in your web browser on the Comic Journal site... And you want to download it in iTunes, you can find it in the iTunes feed of our sister podcast, TCJ Talkies. That is due mainly to the caprices of podcasting technology. But you know what? He whom gods would destroy, they must first make mad. Quote, Aquaman, year one annual. So thanks to Mike Dawson for his hospitality. Thank you for listening. And thanks especially to Anya Davidson, who's up now. Question number one is, what's the last comic you finished reading? Well, it's sort of been an ongoing project, but our friend Tom Oldham from Breakdown Press sent me and my partner, Blaine Milburn, an enormous box of 2000 AD comics from the 80s. And um, so I've been reading them one at a time for about a month now, just really enjoying them. Um, Carlos Esguera is one of my favorites. Uh, I, I love the quality of his line work, and um, I love the humor of those Judge Dredd and Strontium Dog comics, the kind of social criticism humor. So I've been, I've been getting a lot from reading those. I started reading the Dredd comics in those uh, phone book-style anthologies a couple years ago, I think basically just because if you, you're at all interested in genre comics, eventually you have to reckon with, with Dread in 2080. And I was not prepared for just how funny those stories can be and how tight the writing is. Yeah, they're not self-serious, which I like. I mean, there's, there is a, a, a big trend towards grittiness um, with mainstream comics, and I think there's something really kind of mischievous about the humor in those 2080 comics. It just seems a little more politically inclined and um yeah they're 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 not trying to be more than what they are they're just fun and funny and um just just really killer sci-fi i also really like nemesis the warlock um and lane had a collection of that that i read too so it's been it's been fun to kind of trying to broaden my 2000 ad Mm-hmm. Horizons, but um, I'm really psyched about that box. No, yeah. I, I have to ask. You have a kind of line work that I think a reader 
can project onto you know any number of possible influences. You know when I when I talked to Jonathan Lethem about your work, he mentioned Ditko and Panther, and as soon as you said Carlos Escara, I thought you know one line work and two your line work, which is also a sort of very consistent, a thicker width than a lot of other cartoonists use. So I, I'm curious if that was the first time you did countered Escara or. Um, you know, I don't know where I picked up my first Judge Dredd comic. I think it was uh, quite a while ago, and I immediately, there was something just that immediately capti- captivated me about his line work. I, I am addicted to brush pens. I started out inking with just a brush, and um, sort of moved on to like the Pentel pocket brush and those Faber-Castell brush pens. I have never been able to use technical pens or nib pens I think it's a huge shortcoming of mine. It might have something to do with my bizarre, like the the way I hold a pen. I'm very, very left-handed, and I think there's something about because I like to make really quick motions when I ink. I can't, I can't get with the scratchiness hmm. of the nibs or the technical pens. I, I just want to make like I, I'm really obsessed with like um, sort of kinetic figures in comics um sort of i have a horror of static figures or like you know fussy figures and um you know i love john stanley his figures are always in motion um i think he inked with a brush and i just um so i wish i could draw i mean i think maybe part of the reason you can project so many styles onto my line work is that it's very simple i mean it's just very such simple contour line and so um but, you know, Iscara is a little more, there's, they're like more smaller marks. Um, I think he's, you know, using a technical pen um, or a nib, but um, it's very fluid. The, the figures don't look fussy. Uh, I think I really respond to that. How much would you say your line work propels or determines the content of your stories then? Do you feel he's bound to focus on a certain type of story or was it just a very comfortable? Uh, merging oh. of, of approach and genre, or not, a, not that the stories fit into a, neatly into any one particular genre. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, you know, I think it took me a while to get comfortable drawing. You know, I'm still I still feel like I'm learning how to draw all the time. I feel like I'm always, um, you know, with each new project, I look back on the last project and think, gosh, you know, I wish I'd had the skills I have now when I drew that, and, you know, I think that'll probably be going on for the rest of my life. Um, but I'm at the point, and have been for some time, where I, I feel like I can, if, you know, no matter what the subject matter, and I have had, you know, lately especially, more and more, I think, as my, as I get more and more comfortable drawing, the list of possible topics for, for stories grows and grows, because I feel like, oh, yeah, I can tackle that Victorian period piece, you know, I, I'm confident enough in my drawing skills that, you know, if the subject pops into mind, I, I'm confident that I can tackle it in my own strange way. Mm-hmm. Question number two, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? There are so many, um, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, underground cart Tunis from the 60s and 70s got eclipsed by Crumb, so um, I know Lynn mentioned Kim Deitch. Um, I'm a huge Spain Rodriguez fan. You know, I feel like he, his, I think his Trash Man stuff is just phenomenal. Um, I don't hear that talked about a lot, but um, more 
uh, comic that's more contemporary, you know, I just um, wrote a little review of Carlos Gonzalez's uh, test tube book, mm -hmm. and um, he's someone who doesn't use social media really, and I think that in itself can be kind of a gimmick, you know, like <laughs> I'm the mystery man who's not on the internet, but I I genuinely believe he's one of the greatest um, cartoonists working today, and uh, so if he's not going to be on social media, you know, I'll go out there and, and say that, you know, I, I just think he's probably one of the funniest comics writers and and really even though he came from that Fort Thunder um, sphere of artists I think he has been able to establish a unique drawing style and has not been sort of has is is can be seen as a part of that crew but has very much established himself as a unique voice and alternately Question three, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? Well, I kind of agonized about this question. I do think it's hard, you know, it's alternative comics is such a tiny little um, niche that we all, you know, are published by the same people. We all are friends of friends of people. If you post something on Facebook, even if it's not a friend of yours, somebody's going to see it. And so I do think it's hard to talk about it, and I sort of agonized about this. Um, you know, I was going to say uh, The Sculptor. You know, everyone's been piling on to mm -hmm. that Scott McCloud book. I mean, that is just a, a bloated, pus-filled whale carcass of a book. <laughs> I think that is probably one of the worst comics I've ever seen. Um, but, um, and, and, I, and I, I love, 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 um, you know, his writing surrounding, you know, I've used understanding comics to teach children about cartooning. Um, you know, I think he's contributed immensely to the medium. I don't discount his chops. I think sometimes dudes with phenomenal chops think, you know, I, I think they get real ambitious and maybe they're not reading literature. Maybe they're, they are sort of only traps in comics and so you know they want to construct this grand narrative but it it just comes off as really flat and uninformed we took a brief pause in the interview here and resumed slightly off topic when creating a band for life page how often does the question of whether or not to cite an actual act or an actual album yeah how often do you have to ask yourself that question yeah i totally i totally understand that um i definitely wanted everyone so there are other bands in the band for life universe you know bands that they play with and i wanted to make sure that those were all fictitious those mm -hmm. are those are all completely made up when they reference bands who've influenced them uh which is which happens only very occasionally i think it's only happened once um, I did use real bands. So, but in, in their universe, they're never going to meet or encounter anyone who's not completely made up. Question number four. You can send one comic back in time to yourself at 14. What is that comic? Well, uh, that was a, a really tough one, too. And I've got to go with um, Goddess of War by Lauren Weinstein. Um, that book was really huge for me when I was first introduced to it by a, a fellow um, female cartoonist. And um, my friend 
Becca Taylor went and she, I think she'd been visiting New York and she got this copy of Goddess of War for me and she had Lauren Weinstein sign it. I, I don't remember the actual story, but I just remember getting that book and being so blown away by the creativity of it, the way she was able to incorporate, um, you know, world history and comedy. And uh, I loved her. She was, you know, inking with a brush and I could see the classic, her, I could see her drawing chops in it, you know, I could really see mm -hmm. some, maybe some, how her work was informed by her painting background. And um, it, it really, because I had been, you know, around that time I had also been introduced to Fort Thunder and I love those guys. I think their work is phenomenal, but seeing another woman sort of at, at their level at that time, was was really it made me feel like oh I could I could actually do this it, it gave me the the confidence so I wish I'd seen it a little earlier one cartoonist who another cartoonist who I think I've I don't think I've ever heard her mentioned but uh, there's this punk cartoonist named Fly and I first saw her work in these punk zines called Slug and Lettuce um, I was really empowered by that zine it was written and um, put out by a woman um, and. The, those those punk comics were really crude, um, and they sort of were they cast sort of a, a glance on the punk scene and a, kind of poking a little fun at punk life. And um, I really really appreciated those. Those also made me feel like, hey, anyone can do this. And um, I think maybe Fly's work has subsequently been co collected, but I haven't. Yeah, I was going to ask if it's easy to find or I don't think what so. the best way to track it down Yeah, would be. I don't know. I, I really, um, I was actually talking with Matt Thurber about it. I think he knows some, like, I think there, there used to be, I mean, up until, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, and, it, and still even today there are some, like, OG punks holding on in New York City, even though it's, like, still, I mean, it's so hard for anyone to survive there. Um but I, so I think there was kind of a vital scene at one point and a lot of those oldsters kind of know one another. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I think, you know, Matt Thurber might have a line on that, but I don't, yeah, I don't know, um, whether it's been like, if there's been a collection or not. So do the fly comics date then all the way back to the late seventies to the eighties? No, I was reading them in slug and lettuce in the mid nineties. And I, do, and I think Fly was working for, I think um, her career had spanned a longer period of time. But if anyone is listening to this and they want to write in the comments section, um, you know, give us some info, that would be rad because those comments meant a lot to me. And um, yeah, I kind of lost touch with them. Question number five, what's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? Well, um, industry-wise, I think what we're down to Diamond, and that's the only distributor, like major distributor. So it would be incredible if a bunch of distributors sprang up and got more underground stuff to a wider audience. Um, as far as like what's going on specifically in under like trends in underground comics um i just i hate cute i really um and i i'm kind of weary of the sort of 
trends in just like, um, and I, and I, like Kauai, I don't know, I don't know anything about it, but it seems to have like the, the mania for cuteness seems to have kind of infected underground comics. And I, I really feel allergic to that. Is there anything within that cute sensibility that, that has managed to resonate with you that you think uh, maybe, tr maybe transcends is unfair to that, that tradition of cartooning, but well, but you that know, you can meet halfway. It was it was interesting to see, and I was kind of surprised to see, um, and maybe I'm misremembering this, um, but I think was Cole Closser put in the cute section in Best American Comics? Yes, I think so. And I was kind of surprised by that. I mean, I, I think those early like newspaper comics, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't call like Crazy Cat cute. I don't, you know, that's kind of or Gasoline Alley. Like I don't really think of that as cute per se and and so I mean if you're gonna call if you're gonna put that under the cute umbrella then I would say you know I'm a huge fan of you know although I was surprised to see how racist Gasoline Alley is and um but uh you know but I um you know I, I appreciate those early newspaper comics and um so so that I guess would be an an intersection but um yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I find it so repellent. Um, I, I guess because I, I think that cuteness is used as a marketing tool, and um, you know, it's used to sell us things. It's used, you know, we breed these puppies that like can't walk and can't move, and mm -hmm. you know, I think um, cuteness for me equals um, subjugation, and um, I, I just really feel passionately that. Um, you, you know, for me, like cartooning was a is a way was a way to like, you know, break the chains of that, and uh, and so it it freaks me out. Question number six: What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? Well, um, I've you know I th I think as a cartoonist, there there are constant disappointments and constant. Um, it's it's like being on a roller coaster all the time. You know, you take a, two steps forward, a step back, you go up the hill, and then you come crashing down. Um, one minute, you know, your publisher folds, and the next minute you get invited to go do a residency somewhere. I mean, as an artist, as a freelancer, there, there are just so many peaks and valleys. Um, but I feel... Uh, I, and, and people are like, wow, you draw a lot. I'm like, dude, it's a compulsion. I, I can't, like, I wish I could stop. And I, I, I think some people, you know, man, it sure would be cool if I could have a career uh, that, that could really, like, give me some disposable income and what have you. But it, I, I feel physically addicted to it. I think, um, you know, I've had some mental health issues, what have you. I really feel like that it saved me. Um, and so th there's not a possibility of quitting because it, it is my therapy. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. I would just be hospitalized if I couldn't cartoon. It's such an obsessive, um, medium that it, it only works for obsessive people. I think you have to be a little bit off and to do it. And so, um, you know, it, it, it really did save my life, but you know, the, um, in terms of disappointments, you know, it was, um, you know, a big learning experience to be working with Vice, um, to say the least. It was 
and I, I've always had kind of had this fantasy, you know, reading about the old bullpen artists. I, I, I idolized um, Harvey Kurtzman, um, the Mad Magazine artists like Don Martin and stuff. And I, I, I kind of fantasized about what it would be. I always fantasized about what it would be like to be working for a magazine or mm-hmm. a publication, like to have a weekly deadline, to be, you know, kind of immersed in that and, and to be reaching a wider audience. And so, um, you know, it was hard when, when I got let go from that, but I think that was a huge learning experience. Um, my work is not ever going to have, you know, a mass, mass appeal. It is very specific and I have totally come to terms with that and I appreciate that. Um, and then, so, so yeah, I guess, um, you know, being let go from Vice, and then also when um, when Picture Box went, I, I think when Dan Nadell made the choice to um, discontinue Picture Box after many incredible years of publishing some of my favorite comics, um, sort of right as School Spirits was coming out, that was difficult. Um, but once again, it's just I just can't stop. So, when you were with Vice, did you notice? Any changes to your craft or to your approach while you were, you know, required to deliver on deadlines in a way that you wouldn't be as a, a more uh, sort of floating cartoonist? Yeah, well, it, it, I wanted the strip to be in color, and I was allowed to do whatever I wanted, so I, um, I started doing, I think our friend Nick Dernasso told me how to do this, where you, you draw the line work on one page, and then you put um, a blank sheet of paper on top of the line work over on a light box and you color, you know, you do a color layer, like an analog color mm-hmm. layer, and then you put them together in Photoshop. And that allowed me to color very quickly. I hate um, working in Photoshop. I, I'm very sort of technophobic. And so um, I very quickly sort of decided that I was going to do that, that, that I was going to hand color the pages using that method and it, it allowed me to color them very quickly and uh, I, I enjoyed the results. I don't know how it's going to look printed and I'm kind of afraid, but I'm sure that'll get worked out. But yeah, I love working to a deadline. I mean, once again, I'm totally, I'm a, a neurotic obsessive and I am desperate to please. And um, so when I have an editor, you know, or, you know, if, if ever I'm like working for someone you know, I mean, obviously I'm not going to compromise my own uh, vision or ideas, but I just, I really like handing something in every week and working quickly. It gives me a sense of purpose. And so that's why I continued to do that even after, um, you know, I was, I was let go. Now you mentioned that uh, School Spirits came out the same year Picture Box closed. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the biggest challenge then of having a book that was recently arrived without the sort of marketing apparatus that you would normally expect from from even a small publisher and being being as you say a technophobe? <laughs> well, I'm not sure how much marketing. I mean, I I don't really know how much marketing I would have gotten had Picture Box um, remained in operation. So uh, that's hard to speculate about. Um, I just I think it's. Now that I think, you know, it was, there were, there were a lot of ups and downs working for Vice and, um, you know, there are things about it that I, that I really didn't like, 
But um, one thing I have to say is that because I am a technophobe, having them post it and, and promote it, um, suddenly I notice that, oh, hey, all these cartoonists that I idolize are, you know, friending me on Facebook. And, oh, now I can be on Tumblr and, and um, people can actually see what I post, I think. So that got me more of an internet following and made me less afraid of the internet. And so subsequently, I feel like um, more people come to me and say, hey, uh, do you have any other work? And I say, yeah, I put out a, uh, this book. Mm-hmm. And so, so now I think people might be going, discovering me and then going back to the book. But it, I mean, it got, no, it got almost no promotion. And, um, you know, there are still, I'm sure that there are big, but I've been buying them from, they've been sitting in a warehouse, I guess, in Tennessee, and I've been buying them from Dan Nadell and then reselling them online. And I've been able to do that and take them to fest and stuff. So I feel like it's having a second life, but, um, yeah, it, it, it pretty much went nowhere, which was, you know, I, I, it was a first book. I wasn't, and it's a weird book and I know it's a weird book and I, I didn't expect it to be, you, you know, I didn't think like, oh, this would have been a massive hit if picture box hadn't, um, you know, stopped publishing. Question number seven. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? Well, I love... Sam Simon says to love your characters. And um, I just think you really can't have better advice than that. And um, I think, you know, I really want to approach cartooning with an open heart and from a place of sincerity, in a way. And not that I'm not into sarcasm or jokes, but I'm really not into cynicism in a way. Like, I love dark humor, but I think the darkest dark humor only works if, if it comes, if there's, like, some pathos there, if, if you care for your characters. I think it becomes nasty and mean-spirited if you don't. And I am not trying to, yeah, I'm not trying to do parody or satire, really. I sort of am trying more trying to explain explore my own motivations and um, the lives of my friends and, and what it is to, to be alive in the world. And so I think if you really and truly love your characters, you, you can't go wrong. And if you, I think if you love them, then other people will also. And question number eight, what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist? Well, you know, going back to social media and the internet, I just, I mean, I was making comics for, I want to say like eight or 10 years before uh, School Spirits came out. I was publishing, you know, they'd be like 24 page zines with screen printed covers, photocopied at Kinko's. I'd make 20 copies of one and, um, it would just go nowhere. I mean, it would, they, they had no distribution, only a handful of my closest friends have them. So it's, yeah, I, I, but, but by the same token, once I started becoming more involved in social media and stuff, it, it, it came to really feel like an albatross around my neck. And I sort of started um, romanticizing the days when I was mm-hmm. working, um, without the the idea without anyone in my head without but me you know without the idea of anyone 
um, standing over my shoulder, like, oh, will people like this? I don't know. I, I think it was so good for me to have that freedom for so long. So it was, I mean, in terms of a quote unquote career it was a bad decision, but um, in terms of developing as an artist, I think it was really important. So I don't regret it, but I do unfortunately think that if you want to make even the tiniest bit of money as a cartoonist, you just have to be on the internet. And question number nine, what work from another medium has influenced you the most? Well, there are so many. I mean, I'm going to say that um, Ed Sanders of the Fugs is a, was, is, is a really big person in my, in my pantheon because he was involved in poetry, he was involved in music, and he was also a writer. Um, I just love Tales of Beatnik Glory. I think that's such a brilliant book, and it, um, he just really barely fictionalized his own life. Um, he just changed some names and places, but a lot of that is taken from his personal experience. Um, it follows, you know, a group of radicals and artists in the 60s living in, um, I guess, Greenwich Village, um, or the, the Lower East Side, just struggling to survive. They're, um, they're social activists, they're, they're, um, but it's what's so cool about that work is that these these people are politically engaged, but that's that's only part of their. It's not never didactic, you know. It's it's kind of a holistic look at, at their lives, and he also brings in kind of an intergenerational thing, and that's something I'm interested in exploring in my work. It, he showed me a way that I could take things from my life and and my friends and. Um, make it make a story about them that is that incorporates all these different aspects of my life without making it be kind of a polemic mm-hmm. in any one direction. It's a very very funny, very human look at a group of people of of different races, different ages, um, who are very but it's, it's very irreverent. It's very sexy. It's dirty. It's lewd. It's not. I guess what I like about it is it, it's not polite. It, it's very messy, and um, but but it it is very um, it's it's really sincere and and really real. Before we move on to the last question, I wanted to ask: your readings are very performative, and I wanted to ask if, in the realm of performance, there were sort of any major influences. Well, I mean, I saw Meredith Monk in college. Uh, I love Yoko Ono. Um, I think, you know, those maybe those performances you've seen were from Brain Frame, which was uh, an incredible performance, uh, performative comics reading series curated by Lyra Hill in Chicago. I mean, she brought the Chicago comics community together in a way that I don't think anyone else could have. She sort of pushed us out of our comfort zones and encouraged us to develop um, performances surrounding our comics. So that was really an incredible opportunity. Um, It was a very unique thing that I I don't know uh, has ever happened before or since. But, I mean, Chicago was just an unbelievable... uh, There's an incredible comics community in in the city. Um, If I started listing cartoonists I love who just even live in, like, 
a walking distance from us. Uh, I, you know, I, I know I would leave someone really important out. There are so many, but, um, so yeah, so I'm, I feel really lucky to be part of, of that scene. And also, I mean, the Chicago music scene was really nurturing to me. I don't feel afraid to be in front of an audience. I was in bands for many years. Um, and so performing with bands really sort of made me feel comfortable in front of an audience and made me think about performance. And question number 10. You've been assigned to write and illustrate Garfield, but you can alter one aspect of the strip. What do you change? Well, I've never really read Garfield, so I don't know what the dynamic... I know there's there's a, a human named... Is it named John? Yes. And, and there's uh, Garfield, and I don't know... Is there... There's the dog, Odie? There's a dog named Odie. So, I mean, I think I might make it more of an ensemble comedy. I'm really interested in... I think five is kind of the magic number for ensemble hmm. comedies. I really loved Heathcliff as as a kid. I think something about like a ragtag band of friends who are you know and and I was just reading you know that that matriarch patriarch craftsman clown archetypal character models that they use for sitcoms and what have you. I think that's incredibly effective. I think that just works on the human brain in, in a way where we can sort of immediately relate to that. So Scooby-Doo and Heathcliff and those kind of ensemble cast comedies where everyone sort of has a very defined role mm -hmm. makes for, you know, good sort of sitcom traditional comedy. So I think I might, um, you know, just include uh, a huge number of additional characters. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Thank you.